Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. I hope you're enjoying this free podcast novel. It is provided free of charge for your listening pleasure. It is a chance for you to enjoy, completely free, this pulp sci-fi adventure series, which is, as I mentioned, free. Did I mention the word free enough to let the guilt set in? Cool. Right now, you can support the podcast by going to kickstarter.com slash projects slash Runes of Empire and get yourself a copy of Runes of Empire number two, Templum Venerous, before it even hits Amazon. You can get signed copies of the paperback, hardback, or even just throw a dollar in the pot to say, yep, I like what you're doing. Keep it up. And as always, thank you for listening. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, Book One of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author and Tyler Murphy. The story so far. The members of the Human Reconnection Project came up with a plan to end the war on Titan, but before they could put it into place, Vince LeBlanc blocked their signal and only agreed to let the plan continue if the people could be brought to heal under the corporation. Isra ordered her team to evacuate, but Kronos ended up trapped in a crumbling pyramid while the others were captured by the Urbanoi. Kronos found a hidden room where Venganto suits were kept and used them to scare away the soldiers storming the pyramid and was able to re-establish a connection to the team. Meanwhile, Althea, Vago, Halifaco, and his men were led to the city center for their execution. Desperate to save her people and out of options, Isra gave in to Laban's demands. Chapter 32 it was during that dark period in history that 21st century civilization ceased to be a force on the planet. All recorded history vanished. Given the evidence, one might believe that, on New Year's Day 2155, the people of the world decided to pull an elaborate prank on the people of the future and move the date forward. Or, more realistically, history was erased by persons who wanted to keep the exact cause of the fall a secret. In the age of information saturation that was the mid-21st century, that should have been impossible. An event big enough to end civilization must have been recorded and written about a million times, and only one such record would have to survive to tell the world what happened. Yet one can walk to the edge of the gaping hole in our knowledge of human history, stare at it, and declare that it doesn't exist. Those words would also disappear into the abyss. From the Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Rath Vago heard Isra surrender over the radio, but it gave him little comfort as soldiers surrounded and pinned him to the ground, as two others pulled Althea to her feet. He wanted to tear the throat out of every bastard that touched her, but Althea walked, with silent dignity, to the blood-soaked chopping block. Meanwhile, the Houston kept the theater going as good as any showman who had ever lived. He ran his hand along the wooden block, held up a fist of blood, and shouted some words of triumph. The crowd responded with a roar, like a pack of hungry hounds, teased with meat. Vago struggled some more against his bonds, and the soldiers holding him to the ground, but there was nothing he could do. Kronos, 
he said with a kind of pleading. Curtis's voice came through among the clatter of manic typing. I've almost got it. Two soldiers forced Althea's head down on the block, and the soldier with the axe approached. In that moment, Althea glanced back at Vago. It was strange. There was no fear in her face, no pleading, just a kind of sadness like the end of a long goodbye. Kronos, we're out of time. Do it now. I need a little more time. Stall them. The executioner raised his axe. More time. Fine. He could do that. Vago stopped struggling. A few soldiers relaxed their hold, just enough for Vago to lunge to his feet before the soldiers behind him could react, and he charged at the executioner. He lowered his head, and they collided. The impact sent Vago sprawling backwards onto the stage, and sent the executioner flying off. The crowd, just beneath the stage, spread out in an instant, and the executioner's axe clattered on the concrete below, along with the executioner. The crowd gasped and roared as Althea rushed to help him up. She got him to his feet and said, Vago, we have to get out of here. The world was spinning. The screaming crowd and Althea's voice all coalesced into a confusing mass. The only thought that formed in Vago's mind was the intense urge to flee. But it was Althea who grabbed him by the coat and pulled him towards the edge of the stage. She had, in the confusion, managed to pull her arms around so that her bound hands were now in front of her a trick she no doubt perfected dealing with law enforcement on Earth. They stumbled forward a few meters, but didn't get far before soldiers surrounded them. A couple pulled Althea, screaming, struggling, and kicking away from him. Two more took him by either arm, while a third smashed him in the face with his fist. He crumpled to the ground and moaned in pain as another soldier kicked him in the area around the healing shrapnel wound. He heard Althea yell his name somewhere behind him as more soldiers came to hold Vago in place. He glanced back to see the soldiers holding her on her knees, pressing her hands painfully behind her head. She still made a valiant effort to struggle, but she could barely move. The Houston approached, looking at Vago as if he were something disgusting that he would have to scrape off his fancy red shoes. He jammed a finger in Vago's face. I have tolerated your disturbances too much. I will not do it. I demand the right to speak. The word shocked Vago as much as it did the Houston. He backed up and looked at Vega with surprise. What did you say to me? Vega wasn't sure. The words just seemed to come from nowhere. But they were out now, and he thought it best to just roll with it. I said, I demand the right to speak. You have no such. On Earth, those condemned to die are allowed to speak some last words. But you've never spoken to the Compagnio, so I don't expect you to. The Houston moved fast for an older man. Before Vago even saw him move, he felt the sting of his palm against his cheek. The Houston stood back, his face red with rage. And then, as fast as it came on, the Houston relaxed. A small smile even materialized. It was like someone pulled a stopper and let all the anger drop out. He held out an open hand, motioning to the crowd. Very well, outsider. Go. Speak to them. Vago hesitated. Maybe the Houston had a notion that Vago had no idea what to say. If he did, it was accurate. The Houston blinked in anticipation. Come on, then. They await your words. The crowd, silenced by the commotion on stage, waited for something. Vago's mind reeled for something to grasp. A translator. I need someone to tell him what I'm saying. The Houston shook his head. That was not... 
one of Halifaco's generals stood up, despite the soldiers next to him. I will. I will speak his words to the people. There was a flash of disgust on the Houston's face. Vago added, He's got rights to the last words too. Might as well be mine. Kind of a two-for-one thing. The Houston smiled and bent in a small bow. Vago stepped forward with his hands still bound behind him. Althea, still held on her knees by two Urbani soldiers, looked at Vega with eyes that said, in no uncertain terms, I need you to do something spectacular right now. Vega cleared his throat. Uh, people of Titan, I bring you a message. A message of peace. A message of hope. You are two people divided by a common belief. You need not fight anymore. He paused while Halifaco's general finished translating. There were some stirrings in the crowd a kind of low mumble that could become a frenzied, bloody riot at any moment. It held the same foreboding as the first thunder before a Martian sandstorm. The company has been calling to its people for years, desperate to reach those left behind so long ago. He wants to bring you all back home, but your leaders have denied that to you. He motioned at the Houston. They have blocked the voice of the Compagnio from its people so that they could maintain supreme power. The Houston folded his arms and remained silent. I can prove it, said Vega with a touch of desperation. Just a little longer, said Cronus's voice over the radio. Vega swore under his breath and continued. But before I do, I have just one more thing to say. I think you have said quite enough, prisoner, said the Houston, motioning for soldiers to put an end to this. Just one more thing. The people you hold as slaves, the people you have captured, they ain't your enemy. You share this moon together. The fate of one, well, that's what's going to happen to the other. You can't destroy one without destroying yourselves. As Halifaco's general finished translating, the crowd got more and more riled up, especially around the center where the Perfinduloi warriors were held. Are we coming? asked Vago, taking advantage of the momentary reprieve. Just a few more seconds, said Kronos. The Houston bowed again, although this time it was little more than a slight bend at the waist and an impatient head nod. Are you finished? Vago looked around desperately. Not yet. Don't be mistaking me. The Compagnia is coming, and it's coming right now. You kill me, you kill her, he said, nodding his head toward Althea, and you ain't never gonna see the end of its wrath. The Houston held out his hand. The Compagnia comes here. Where are they? Show it to us. Kronos' voice came over the earbud. Another second. I just need a couple more seconds whispered Vago, mentally strangling Kronos with every word. The Houston smiled. The Compagnio speaks to people already. They speak to me, and they say to kill the enemies of Titan. The words kicked off a frenzied response from the crowd. Vago tried to keep talking, but anything he said was drowned out. Not that he had anything more to say, anyway. One of the soldiers pulled Althea away, another kicked Vago behind the knee. He fell forward and the soldiers shoved him onto the chopping block. Kronos, said Vago. One more second. Li parolas mensogon, bellowed the Houston to the delight of the crowd and pointed a bony finger at Vago being held on the block. Li moronos unua. There was a particular dark emphasis on the word moros that associated it with, in no uncertain terms, death. He tried to move, but a soldier shoved Vago's face onto the bloody block. Kronos! Vago! screamed Althea, struggling against the soldiers. 
The executioner walked up from wherever he fell, gripping the axe with a sort of intense determination. Blood trickled down from the top of his head. Cronus's voice crackled over the radio. Just one more? There! I got it! The executioner raised the axe. Just as he brought it down, Vega rolled off the block, and the blade came down and embedded itself into the wood. Vega fell onto the stage, and two guards ran to jerk him back onto the block. The Houston roared in anger. Akiri Lin! Tedu Lin! Malsprin! The soldiers tried to force Vega's head down, but he twisted his body so that he could kick one in the kneecap. Then he turned and headbutted the other in the face. Laban! yelled Kronos over the radio. You must begin now! More soldiers surged forward. Vega yelled as they grabbed him. Stop! In the name of the Compagnio, stop! Maybe it was the look on Vega's face, or maybe because he invoked the name Compagnio, but they stopped, as if gripped by a spell. Vega stared up at the black screen towering over them. You want to see your gods? Here they come. In that moment, the crowd became unnaturally silent. Nobody breathed, the soldiers didn't twitch a muscle, and even the Houston stared up at the screen with a kind of wide-eyed fear, like a child who's just been caught in their parents' dresser drawer. And then, nothing happened. The screen stayed black and still. Well, shit, muttered Vago. The soldiers jerked Vago back and slammed him down on the block. His head bounced off. His head bounced hard off the wood, scrambling his marbles. One of the soldiers planted his boot firmly into the small of Vago's back so that he couldn't move. The executioner raised his axe. Vago closed his eyes and waited for the thump of the blade into the wood. Would he be able to hear it, or would the light simply go out like someone flipping a switch? Vago released his last breath. At the moment of death, he heard trumpets. Vago's thoughts flashed to the preacher of his Martian colony, talking about hell and heaven and the choir of angels. Vega always discounted it as arcane superstition, but was that preacher right all along? Was this the afterlife? Vega opened his eyes. The screaming masses hushed themselves and focused on the space far above his head. The trumpet fanfare blared even louder. The guard relaxed his legs so that Vega could turn over and see the screen for himself. The corporation logo, a letter C, encapsulating an image of the globe, spun above him as large as the ringed orb of Saturn in the sky. The logo for the corporation was rarely associated with anything but unfettered greed and an insatiable lust for power. But right now, on that screen, in front of all these people, it was more beautiful than anything Vago had ever seen. The image changed to a man in a suit sitting at a desk. The banners of the various corporation consortiums flanked him on either side. Little holograms of the corporation logo floated above the otherwise antique desk. Everything about the man was perfect. Perfect smile, perfectly pressed suit, perfectly styled golden hair. It took the resources of an entire planet to make someone look that good, but the CEO could afford that and more. The leader of the global corporation clasped his hands together. People of Titan, allow me to introduce myself. I am Malcolm Moore, CEO of the Transplanetary Corporation of Earth. I speak to the... The man looked down at a sheet of notes in front of him. The Perfine Duloy and the Urbanoi. Just as the various energy companies of Earth's past came together to form the mighty energy consortium, 
just as those consortiums now band together as the corporation. I appear before you today to unite the people of Titan under one banner. The CEO paused, and the crowd cheered. The CEO, said Vega as he stood up. How? The man on the screen continued. Our people have been separated for far too long. Much has changed on Earth, as I am sure much has changed for the far-flung world of Titan. To help with the process of bringing the people back to the corporation, I have appointed Vince LeBan as my official representative on your planet. Althea bent, with her hands free to help Vago to his feet. She used a knife she no doubt lifted from a soldier to cut Vago's bonds. It takes more than two hours to get a signal from Earth. LeBan, he must have known. He will be arriving tomorrow, the CEO continued. Until then, let's talk about getting you people home. The people of Titan cheered. Vago, what is your status? called Isra over the radio. Vago shook his hands as he watched Althea move down the line of Halifaco's men, cutting their bonds as well, while the soldiers and the rest of the people were totally entranced by the spectacle in front of them. We're alive. Wasn't by much, but enough. And Kronos, asked Isra. Vago looked around as a slow, terrible realization formed in his mind. He called out, Althea, you seen the Houston take off? Her face went white as she helped the Perfenduloi leader to his feet. Halafako, what did you leave the railgun? Halafako stood up. We made it to the pyramid before the Houston's army stopped us. The weapon is still there. I'll bet he's in a mood to rip down the entire companio. Let's go, quick, before he does. Vago had no idea how the pyramid still stood at this point. The top had been blasted off, and the four walls, still reflecting the light from the moons, crumbled as they approached. At the edge of the courtyard, just on the other side of the short, dilapidated wall, Vago saw where Halifaco left the railgun. The bodies of both Urbanoi and Perfenduloi warriors littered the ground around it, a grim monument to a mad drive for power. And there was the Houston, in full ceremonial regalia, working the controls, and looking like a man who had long since sprinted past sanity and was deep in the dark recesses of madness. Isra yelled over the radio, Vago, what is happening? Althea activated her radio as she ran alongside Vago. Isra, we might have a situation. Vago left Althea and sprinted to the railgun. The Houston's face, lit by the screen on the gun, split into an insane grin as he flipped switches and pressed buttons at random. He didn't know how to work the technology, but, given its high-pitched whine, he had figured out enough. The Martian ran full force across the field when, as much to the Houston's surprise as his own, the weapon fired. He ran into the Houston at full speed, knocking that ridiculous spiked hat off his head. They tumbled and rolled in the grass and mud as the sound of the shot echoed off the buildings around them. He pinned the old man down and sat up to watch. The projectile hit its target and the remaining walls of the pyramid collapsed into itself. It was only a few seconds before the pyramid in the center of the courtyard disappeared into a pile of dark rubble, dust, and smoke. The Houston laughed. <laughs> Mizara Menzogo, I am the Companillo. Those false voices will never... Vago's fist struck the Houston just below the jaw. His eyes rolled up in his head, and he lay still. Vago got up 
and staggered over to the rail gun. He pulled away a maintenance panel, grabbed a handful of wires and a few metal pieces, and pulled. White hot sparks erupted and burned his hands, but it was done. Vago looked up at the smoldering ruins of the pyramid. Althea ran up and stopped next to Vago, panting. Oh lord, Kronos! Vago activated his radio. Kronos, come in! No response. Kronos, damn it! If you are there! Althea touched his shoulder and shook her head. A few tears streamed down her face. Vago, what is happening? Where is Kronos? said Isra's voice. Vago swallowed hard. The Houston managed to fire the railgun and destroy the pyramid. Looks likely that Kronos was inside. Smoke rose gently from the smoldering wreckage as Vago watched. Althea approached and put her arm around his shoulder. We couldn't. I mean, we tried, but... Yeah, Vago murmured. Then he activated his radio. Isra, we're going to check out the wreckage. As much as we can. See what's left. There was a long pause, and Isra said in a firm, clear voice, I understand. Isra shut down the system and walked through the derelict. She wandered through the halls of the ancient ship until she came to the airlock. She twisted the wheel and pushed the thick steel door open. The moonlit skies were clear of Enganto now, and it left a kind of dreadful peace in the air. She leaned against the hull and looked at Saturn's largest icy moon, Rhea, shining like a great silver jewel. A stiff breeze kicked up, and the air filled with leaves. She pulled her coat around herself. It reminded her of a brisk autumn day on Earth, but here... She had the desperate feeling that spring would never follow a winter. Even now, the giant trees looked bare like mere skeletons of themselves. The once all-pervasive hum and screech of insects, birds and animals, was gone, replaced by a silence that was as cold as the wind. Titan was lost, and the worst part about it was that she'd lost a man in the process. Not that she'd feel better if her mission succeeded, but at least he would have died for something. This was nothing. Nothing but a catastrophic failure. She felt a white-hot anger rise inside her. He had no business on a mission like this. He lied, cheated, and bluffed his way into a situation that he had no control over and no training for. He was like a child, wandering into the woods, with no sense of the danger that surrounded him. If he would have just stayed on Earth, he would have... A chilling breeze blew her hair. She brushed it out of her face and wiped away a tear. If he would have stayed on Earth, Vega would be dead. Althea, too, most likely. But there was no point in rehashing what was done. Titan was lost. Kronos was dead. Isra activated her radio. Finish what you need to, and make your way to the city gates. We will rendezvous there before we meet up with the corporation transports. Isra, said Vago, you might want to delay that for a moment. Something weird is happening. Vago and Althea both watched a Venganto circling overhead. Vago, trying not to make any sudden movements, picked up a gun off a fallen Urbanoi soldier. When I say go, said Vago, raising the gun, you bolt for cover. It don't matter what it is, you just... Wait, said Althea, watching the winged soldier circling overhead. There's something wrong with it. I... I don't think it means to harm us. Vago kept the rifle trained on the threat, but she was right. Venganto were graceful, elegant, 
and deadly. This Venganto had all the grace and elegance of an overweight, drunken gerbil. It didn't make any fast moves, but just circled overhead, getting lower and lower. Finally, the creature swooped toward the ground, not in the sharp descent that usually preceded an attack, but more of a long, shallow dive, as if coming in for a landing. Although, landing was a generous term for what it did. It would be more accurate to say that it careened into the ground and rolled a few times. Vigo rushed over and held it at gunpoint. Okay there, buddy. You just stand up real slow now. The Venganto did as it was told. A high-pitched voice behind the mast said, In such a series of events, it would be a shame to fall to the gun of one's own comrade. Do you not agree? Kronos, said Althea with a bit of excitement. Kronos removed the Venganto mask. The bald little man beamed at both of them. A daring escape. Worthy of a Martian warrior, you might say. I might, with enough to drink, said Vago. How did you get out? It was the Acolytes in the Pyramid. They had a secret in the basement. It was them who became the Venganto. Kronos looked mournfully at the wreckage. I suppose they are gone now, along with everything else. More history. Lost forever. Althea went to him and clasped his hands in hers. Kronos, I'm so sorry. I can't understand what that data meant to you, or how hard it must have been to leave. Kronos stared off in the direction of the wreckage. His look was far away, as if he were looking past the debris to the bright silver moons in the distance. The mainframe, my equipment, there will be others, but a seeker is rare, and only a seeker knows what he is looking for. If I allowed myself to die, I don't know if there would be someone who could listen to the data and hear the secrets it contains. He paused for a moment, his eyes narrowing as he thought about what he just said. Is that presumptive of me? Vago slapped him on the back. Maybe. But there ain't no shame in thinking you're the only one that can do a job proper. Hell, I'm not even sure I know what you do. It's very simple. See, when civilization fell... Vago stopped him. And we ain't got time to find out now. Come on, Kronos. Let's go find Isra and see about getting off this frigid rock. They started walking. Althea, always the person who filled any silence, asked, Did you manage to find anything at all? The data needs to be processed, said Kronos. But yes, I found something. Time will dictate its value, but I believe it will show itself worthy. The long night on Titan stretched on. Seventy-two hours later, darkness still covered the moon, with only a dim red glow on the eastern horizon, signaling the beginning to another long day. When the sun finally did rise, it wouldn't recognize the world it left only a few hundred hours ago. Less than a week on a more civilized planet. For a start, what amounted to a second city had risen in and around the corporation camp. It still consisted of simple, temporary dome structures, but there were more of them, and those that existed had to be expanded. The mess hall, especially, had expanded two or three times, and now served as the center of this growing society. The old decaying city and the forests surrounding it were all but devoid of human life, as its citizens streamed to the corporation camp to be closer to the return of the Companio. The perimeter grew as more and more people set up simple structures, some made with nothing but branches and leaves from the dying forests surrounding the camp. Hundreds of Perfinduloi, Urbanoi, and corporation soldiers flooded the mess hall, filling it to beyond capacity. Whatever Titan was going to become when the sun rose was going to be decided and nobody wanted to be left out. Even with two or three times the extra space, 
Vago still felt claustrophobic, sitting on a bench in that mess hall. The small, round folding tables the corporation used to furnish the area had been replaced by long, heavy wooden ones, not unlike those at the communal gathering place of the Perfinduloi in the ancient spaceship. In fact, Vago couldn't be totally sure that they had not been brought from there. It was standing room only, as every survivor from the Urbanoi and the Perfinduloi crammed together drinking, eating, and conversing. This time, it didn't feel as forced as it did in the Houston's palace. A few people kept to their own kind, but everyone else mingled in a kind of kinship that hadn't been seen on this planet in a millennium. Vega was seated at a table with Isra Althea Kronos and five other Urbanoi who more or less ignored them. Wine flowed through the whole hall, which did a lot to explain the sudden camaraderie. Vega preferred to drink alone and in quiet, letting the booze soothe his battered body. Althea sat next to him with a mug of wine in her hand, although she only took a couple sips from it. She mostly just turned it around and around in her hands while watching the people of Titan moving from table to table, chatting and laughing as if they hadn't just spent generations trying to enslave and slaughter each other. She sighed and said, The forests are deteriorating faster than any of the scientists anticipated. They say that most of plant life will be dead within a month. Maybe less. Vago took a drink. Nothing we can do about that, Althea. We weren't the ones who blew up the refineries. Althea cast an evil eye at Halifaco, who was sitting at the front of the room with the Houston and Laban. What do you think will happen to them now? Vago leaned back. They'll survive. People have a way of doing that. Laban tapped his mug on the table until the conversations around the room ceased. Backed up by two interpreters, Laban began speaking. Honored guests, I welcome you to the grand opening of Titan Outpost One. What we build on this foundation will ensure the safety and prosperity of all people of Titan, Urbanoi and Perfunduloi alike. The Urbanoi clapped while the Perfunduloi raised glasses of the imported corporation wine in the air. Easter was sitting across from Vago, looking down at a mug of wine, as if trying to discern the individual molecules that made it up. But when Laban began his speech, Easter started mumbling to herself loud enough for Vago to hear. But he doubted anyone who wasn't listening could. First step, he will make sure the people know that the resources of the moon belong to the native people. Laban waited, smiling until the room was quiet again. I am so pleased to be sitting down with Halifaco of the Perfunduloi and the great Houston of the Urbanoi. There have been troubles on this planet in the past. I know this is true, but those will be repaired. To help heal this amazing planet, we want the people of Titan to know that their resources belong to them and nobody else. Next, said Isra, not looking up, make the population dependent on the corporation by putting them deep in debt. Even as we speak, Laban continued, a ship is being loaded with new equipment to maximize the extraction of the great wealth of hydrocarbons, a small investment by both peoples of Titan that will guarantee prosperity for every living person. Vago and Althea exchanged glances. They started to recognize the corporation playbook, even as Isra recited it. The third part is tricky, Isra continued. You need an element of self-interest, so that the people in position of power will continue to work in their own best interests, rather than for the good of the people. Laban walked to the front of the table. I would also like to announce an exciting new opportunity for the people of Titan. You are not just a proud Titanian race, but you are children of Earth. 
Your ancestors found themselves alone here after the fall, but they created a grand society, and it is a society that you should all be proud of. However, as children of Earth, you are entitled to return to your ancestral home, and, in exchange for some of the hydrocarbons extracted, we can make that happen. The crowd cheered, louder and longer than ever. Easter gave a single solemn nod and said, Well played. All you need now is the consent of the current ruling class, so that it does not feel like a hostile takeover that it is. Laban motioned back to Halifaco and the Houston, who both stood up and joined Laban in front of the table. This deal will not only bring an end to the division between the Perfenduloi and Urbanoi, but will ensure a peaceful and prosperous future for all of Titan. Isra looked up, just as the Houston and Halifaco took a step forward to shake each other's hands and then embraced each other. The show was over, and everyone went back to their conversations. Althea sat up slightly, and that's it. All is forgiven and forgotten. The slavery, the cruelty, the senseless killing. Can the corporation really erase all that so easily? Of course not, said Isra, taking a drink. It is still there. It is just hidden now. Look at Halifaco. Vega watched Halifaco and the Houston pull away from their embrace and continue shaking hands. Look at his eyes, Easter continued. The ambition is still there. He will play by the rules for now because he still believes in the Companio. But he will grow tired of it and seek a way to power again. Look at that group over there. Vega and Althea both turned to see where Easter pointed. It was a group of five or six Perfendule men and women gathered around an Urbanoi couple listening to them talk. The woman on the far right, said Isra, she knows that couple, one of them at any rate. Something happened to her. She cannot look at them in the face. Her smile is forced. She laughs a half second later than everyone else. She is trying to fit in. She knows that the thing to do now is pretend that the past is the past, but one cannot pretend forever. She will slip up, and the truth will be known. Now look over there. Isra motioned to two Urbanoi men sitting close to each other at an adjacent table. They have not talked to a single Perfenduloi. You can see the concealed disgust on their faces when one stops to chat. They see this gathering as an abomination, and they will act accordingly some day. What are you saying? asked Althea, with a touch of admiration in her voice. Isra smiled and even laughed just slightly. I am saying that the children all behave when the parents are watching. The parents, in this case, being the cult of the Companio. Religion is the ultimate parental figure. It may cause them to change some of the behavior, but it will not change who they are at heart. The hatred is still there. And that is good. How do you figure, said Vago, finishing his drink. Hatred leads to violence. Violence leads to suppression. Suppression leads to revolution. The corporation requires complete domination, but they cannot control something as energetic as hatred. It only gets stronger the more it is contained. Isra got up. Come with me, Vago. You need to see something. Vago set his mug down on the table and followed Isra. She marched up to Laban and extended her hand. I suppose congratulations are in order. Laban smiled wide and said, I must say, I am surprised. You never did strike me as one who would be magnanimous in defeat. Oh, I am not, said Isra. She flashed Vago a fast smile and added, I know you knew about the city, and I can prove it. 
You had thousands of feet of hose and almost no drilling rigs. Your plan from the start was to take over the refineries that you knew were there. Laban pulled back. Hardly a violation. Besides, you still can't prove it. The shipping manifest will prove that we took advantage of a situation. And the fact that you had a message from the CEO ready? It takes over two hours to get a signal to and from Earth. You made it earlier and intended to use it to subjugate the people. Laban waved his hand. That is your interpretation. The corporation will have theirs. Isra smiled. Indeed. And the legal battle will be long and drawn out. And there is you, Laban. I suspect, as the leader of this expedition, you will spend a lot of time arguing for the corporation. She grabbed him by the arm. You are a rare corporation man, Laban. Enterprising. Resourceful. A free thinker with a taste for adventure. Laban forced a smile and, with awkward tact, pulled his arm away. So nice of you to notice, Easter continued. I suspect spending all your time in and out of ministry courts and corporation tribunals would crush a man like you. Bago saw a slight glint of horror in Laban's face as his future flashed in front of his eyes. There is not much satisfaction in Pyrrhic victories, said Isra, but one has to take what they can. She turned and started to walk away. Nothing in this world is simple, Laban, or free. There will always be those waiting to collect. She went back to her seat across from Althea and sat back down. Vago stood behind her. So what exactly did I need to see there? With a serene smile, Isra picked up her mug of wine and held it up toward Althea. To another mission complete. Althea hesitated, but clinked her mug against Isra's. In that moment, Vago realized that maybe it wasn't that he needed to see it, but that Isra needed him to see it. In his experience, a general who no longer seeks the approval of his army has given up. But so long as he, or she, is willing to put up a semblance of strength, there's still some fight left. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Saturnius Mons, the first book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Broken Reality by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license.